You're Allison? Yeah. You're Gabe? Hi. I'm Allison. Oh, I know. I'm Blair. You're really pretty. You are, too. You used to be an actress, and now you're a director. Why'd you give it up? I didn't. So do you guys have a plan for this place? I don't really know what we're doing. We were living in Brooklyn, and it was getting so expensive. And we weren't really working, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I figured if um, I never learned how to cook, then I would never become a housewife. You're really hard to read. Yeah, you know what? I get that all the time. Do you find it weird acting in your own films? I actually find it kind of humiliating. Roll sound. Mark. Okay, whenever you're ready. Action. You don't think she knows what I'm up to? She's oversimplifying a lot. It's just so rare to pick a real artist's brain. How can you make something if you don't have anything to say? I have something to say. I just think the movie is the only way to say it. It's like she can't stand the fact that I have a single thought about this world. No, it's that I can't stand the thoughts about the world that you have. This has been so fun. You don't love me anymore. Just leave me alone! Now I'm wondering what kind of mind games you're playing with me. He's my husband, okay? Claire, can you just I'm calm, can you calm down a little bit? Me? I've been lying since the second I got here. <laughs> You're in I've love with her, you are, I, I know it. This is what you wanted, okay? This was going to ruin us. Okay, cut. I just want to be normal people again. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Toure and Derek Wong. So this week we've got a deep cut for you guys as we talk about director Lawrence Michael Levine's 2020 film Black Bear. The movie stars Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott, and Sarah Gaddon. I kind of like doing these deep cuts because it's movies that not everyone has seen. We've been doing a lot of lot of popular movies lately, so it's nice to take a break from that and go into like something that hasn't been seen by many people. Because I don't even remember that many people talking about this on like film Twitter. Um, definitely flew under the radar of a lot of people, including myself. Because Amir, you recommended us to watch this for this week's episode, and I knew about the movie. I just never actually got around to watching it and that was a mistake because this movie fucking rules i really like it yeah it fucking whips yeah great twist in this movie i think the movie is not difficult to follow or decipher but it's harder to interpret i think i think that's the approach that i got out of it i don't know about you guys we'll get into plot and stuff a little later but what are, what are your general thoughts about about this movie? Well, I recommended it, so um, yeah. obviously I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I remember looking forward to this movie, and then, yeah, like you said, like nobody seemed to be talking about it. I mean, you hadn't seen it, which is a shocker. You see everything. So like, I was really <laughs> surprised you hadn't seen this. It was like, I heard it got pretty good buzz at festivals and stuff, and then just like, I don't know what happened. COVID happened, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it was December though, right? COVID had already been going on. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I just thought that this should have gotten a lot more buzz for how good it was. And 
I really, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, to be fair, I was part of the problem too. It's not like I went out and saw it like immediately on a release, right? I, mean, I only just saw it maybe like around, what two months ago or something like that. What spurred you to watch it? Like just because it got good buzz and it was like, uh, it looked like it was up my alley and like its weirdness. I, I like Aubrey Plaza. Um, you know, I think we'd probably just seen Possessor too. Yeah, Christopher Abbott having a so banner Christopher year. Abbott, yeah, twenty twenty, yeah. Also in that, so maybe maybe I just seen him in that too, and I was like, you know what, I really want to see this. And um, yeah, I'm glad I did. This is this is it's a lot of fun. It's kind of a little mind twisty and bendy, but like you said, it's not hard to follow at all. It's 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 fun in the little meta things it does. It, it's mm-hmm. a really good time, and like the actors are just all great. They all really, really crushed good, this. Yeah. I think it's just a ton of fun to watch. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. What about you, Derek? I love going into movies not knowing anything about the movie. Kind of like Jeff, I've heard of this movie. What I remember was that a lot of people were praising, you know, Aubrey Plaza's performance in it. And that was kind of all I really remember about this movie. I I didn't know anything about the plot. Yeah, I went in not knowing anything about the plot either. And I didn't know that there was supposed to be a twist. And so it was pleasantly surprising to find out what kind of unfolds in this movie and the mind bending you have to like rearrange how you're kind of seeing the movie midway through the movie and honestly it was a quite an enjoyment um i mean i think there are some issues i do have with the movie but and we'll get into that but i think in the end i i really enjoyed this movie and i mean i definitely recommend it right it's this is kind of like one of those small gems that you Jeff said, not everyone has seen, and I think the best we could do is like just tell everyone, hey, if you have an opportunity to see this, go on, check it out. I really, really did enjoy this. Yeah, and I think like when we talk about movies like this, it's not like, oh, we're tooting our own horn, like seeing things that no one has ever seen. We want to share like under the radar stuff that people might not have seen and like spur you guys to maybe go see it and, and enjoy it too, because we really like some of this uh, hidden gem type stuff. And this was like a real showcase for Aubrey Plaza. I think People pigeonhole her into, like, the weirdo role, you know, with, like, uh, Parks and Recreation and, like, Scott Pilgrim and stuff like that. But she is excellent in this. And she's been excellent in a lot of things. Like, she's very, very good in Legion. She's really good in Ingrid Goes West with Elizabeth Olsen. I think this performance just, like, pulls together a bunch of different threads she's been pulling at, like, her entire career. And it really comes together in, like, a pretty meaty role for her and I, I really really like her in this and and also chris Abbott and, and uh sarah gadden aren't uh slumps either in this they're really good too and i think probably the best way to summarize this movie is like it's a strange cross between who's afraid of virginia wolf and david lynch's mulholland drive if you guys have ever seen that <laughs> it is right because i like that comparison there's that shift of perspective in Mulholland Drive, too. We'll get into the actual twist later on, but it's very similar in that because this is about a couple, Gabe and Blair, played by Christopher Abbott and Sarah Gaddon, respectively, and their husband and wife, and they invite an actress turned director. Is that right? She's an actress turned director, right? Yeah. Named Allison yes. to their cabin in the woods. So this definitely like falls in the mumble core category where it's like a quirky type movie where it's a lot of indie actors low budget dialogue driven and people characterize this as a dark 
comedy, but I think you have to have a very specific mindset to think this is a comedy. You have to be Mm -hmm. really into, like, cringe stuff, right? This is, like, awful, awful people, and Aubrey Plaza is pretty much, like, psychotic in this, (laughs) I I think. I mean, not in, like, a very overt way, but, like, very manipulative, and, and, like, it's about, like, this imploding marriage and this dynamic between these three people, and it's super awkward and pretty hard to watch at times. I want to read the IMDb kind of synopsis for this. Okay. Straight from IMDb. A filmmaker at a creative impasse seeks solace from her tumultuous past at a rural retreat, only to find that the woods summon her inner demons in intense and surprising ways. I feel like that does not do this movie justice. That is 2,000% misleading. Yeah, that's yeah, right. that an awful synopsis. That is <laughs> terrible. It makes it seem like it's a horror movie. Yeah. Well, it kind of is. That first 40 minutes is kind of a horror movie. But not in the way that synopsis makes it seem. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. definitely not in that in that way. But it's kind of a horror movie, and that's what I really liked about it. And I guess to get a little bit of spoiler territory here, I really liked the tension between Gabe and Allison and the intense chemistry from minute one and like the dawning realization, like, okay, these two people are gonna fuck. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's like the killer in the movie. It's like, all right, you know these people are gonna die, and it's just like you're on tenter hooks the entire time waiting for it to happen. So I really enjoyed mm-hmm. the, ten- the the tension of this movie. I really enjoyed like seeing this marriage implode. I, I didn't think it was cringe at all. I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. I don't know. I had, I had a blast watching this first act. I really, really enjoyed it. You didn't the think the, the dialogue was cringe? Yeah, the first was- act is so cringy. It's very arch. It's mannered. It's not realistic dialogue, right? Yeah. I don't know. You have to kind of roll with it. But – I don't know. I was totally with it. I did, it didn't bug me. Go, go into what was cringe about it for you guys. I think for me, it's. A, it, I mean, we're talking about the first act, right? The first, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll call it like the, the first, first half of this movie. The first forty minutes of the movie, yeah, yeah. And it's specifically for me. I think it's the dinner scene going into the like drinking scene within the cabin. I think that tension between well, already uh, the characters of Gabe and Blair, and then adding Allison, right, Aubrey Plaza's character into this formula this kind of relationship turmoil that seems to be just so now um it doesn't seem to be internalized anymore right it's it's very external for these characters and the fact that like Aubrey Plaza is like a person kind of stuck in the middle and she is also part instigator right partially part of oh, the problem a thousand oh yeah she, she's yeah. being a gigantic and- asshole She's kind of like stuck here with these people in this argument, but also like physically stuck in this cabin, right? Like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah, all, all of that was just very cringe. And like, that's some of the most tension I've seen in a movie in a while. So I don't, th- but I don't think that's cringe. It's tension. Yeah. But I, it was very enjoyable. Like, I don't know, when I think of cringe, I think of like, oh, wow, like this is so difficult to watch. I'm feeling such like secondhand embarrassment for these characters. Like when you watch, I don't know, The Office or something like that, I didn't get those vibes at all. Like I got the tension, but I don't. I don't get the cringe. I I got it. <laughs> so who were you like cringing for? All of them? Okay, so like the the passive aggression in this movie is just like off the charts. Oh, it's, it's amazing! So, like, it's so good. it's so, so good. good. It's so it's good. So well done. I, I how can you cringe at that? It's art. It's so good. Cringe is like a strong word. I don't think cringe in the aspect of like it's hard to. I mean, it's hard for me to say because I love that type of shit. I don't find that unenjoyable at all so like when i say it's cringe dark humor i mean that as a compliment right to to give like an example like so 
Blair, she's pregnant, right? And like throughout this whole first act, she's like drinking wine. And Oh yes. <laughs> and Gabe is like, Are you happy? I just want you to remember this night when the baby comes out all fucked up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's just like this dialogue is just so dry and like things you wouldn't expect people to say. And then this whole exchange between uh Blair and Allison where like Allison's like, well, well I never learned how to cook. She's like, really? Yeah, really? You never learn how to, like, make baked potatoes? You never learn from your mom? And then Alice is like, oh, my mom is fucking dead or whatever, you yeah. know? <laughs> That's the most Aubrey Plaza she is in this movie, by the way, in that line. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the most, like, stereotypical Aubrey Plaza role she is in, in that one line. And I, I think the rest of it, she's not as stereotypical. But then mm-hmm. that's very, like, weird, quirky line person. But, like, I don't know, what saves that for me is, like, it's an act, right? She's not playing it straight. She's being a dickhead. Yeah, 100%, 100%. She's being a fucking asshole, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I don't know, not cringe for me. I don't know, I just don't. It doesn't... She's so great at playing an asshole. Dude, she's so good. A lot of the lines in this, like, in the hands of a lesser actress, like, you would just think, like, oh, she's playing that straight. It just comes across so obviously that she's being a manipulative asshole, like, playing... Blair and Gabe off of each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the deliveries are just fucking great. Like, there's this one scene where Blair's just talking about Allison's career and, like, the meaning of the work that she does. And uh, I don't remember what Allison says. Blair's like, oh, that just seems a little solipsistic to me. And Allison's like, oh, I don't know what that means. But, Dude, like, what an asshole. <laughs> but, like, the way she says it, oh, I don't know what that means. She's got this look on her face that's just fucking priceless and like prodding and like it's fantastic you guys just you have to see it to like she can barely restrain herself from breaking into a shitty grin yeah <laughs> like of just how big a douchebag she's being and, yeah. and of course she does reveal of course, she's like, of course i know what solipsistic means like <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's just such an ass she's <laughs> such an ass sorry to go back to something you said though i think you're right it is art but i i still think it is cringe inducing for me but I think that's part of the enjoyment. You know, I'm, I'm someone who yeah, loves, yeah, yeah. like, Kirby enthusiasm. That's cringe humor so for I, me. So I like Curb, and Curb is hard to watch for me sometimes. This isn't oh, hard really? To, yeah, this isn't hard to watch. I, I didn't find this hard to watch at all because – maybe because it was so, I don't know, like, artificial, just enjoying the high level. Like, I don't know. With Curb, you're like, oh, my God, this is so awful. <laughs> like, this is just like – you know what it is? It's like this is not – like, I'm not embarrassed for these people because they're not fucking up. Right? Like they're not unintentionally mm-hmm. like or doing something or misinterpreting. You can't feel any secondhand embarrassment with them. You can't cringe for them because they're not doing things unintentionally, right? Like this is all intentional douchebagginess. Yeah. And so like that's it's I think that's Scott's why I don't tots. cringe. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's not Scott's tots. It's not like anything Larry does in curb ever, right? Like there isn't that mismatch between like, you know, the perceptions of the character and like the perception of the world. Like it all, everyone's on the same page. We're all going to be giant dickheads to each other. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't feel cringe at all. I was just like, wow, I feel like I'm watching like a work of art here. It was just, it was just so much fun to see them snipe at each other. The part that made me actually like cringe a little bit is just Gabe and Blair arguing about feminism. Mm. You know, I thought that was like very, very trite surface level takes. That's purposeful, right? Yeah. I mean, I even like that. Like, I, I thought that was such a perfect... No, no, yeah, I like that. I love, I love that. Business, right? this is, they're just two random dickheads with, like, random problematic opinions on feminism. And it's obviously not a... I mean, of course, it's somewhat about that argument, but 
you know, that argument is it's just about their marriage imploding, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, if you're not into like the construction of the dialogue here, like I can see how it could come off the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not realistic dialogue in like a completely 100% realist sense, right? It's very constructed, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, you can clearly see the scaffold. Like, this conversation is there to serve this conversational purpose or whatever. And that does play into the big twist, right? Because that is what it is, right? Or like, it's constructed. What do you think about the chemistry between uh, Gabe and Allison? You could definitely tell that there is an attraction between them. And it, it's not subtle, right? And I don't think it's supposed to be played very subtly. And, and I, I think it's it's perfectly active between the two, right? They're not outright flirting with each other, but you could definitely tell there's an attraction between them. Only not when his wife is in the room. But like from, yes. the, minute, from the minute he picks her up from the Uber, he's like yeah. trying to show off for her, lifting up the suitcase. They're like, like, you know, that thing has wheels, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's fishing for compliments. She's like, oh, well, you know. I stopped being an actress because, you know, I guess I wasn't attractive enough. And he's like, oh, I heard you like to fish for compliments. But I don't think that's why they stopped hiring you or whatever. Like, you know, they're they're clearly like just from minute one, the immediate is like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And it's uh, it's good. I don't know. I think if you don't buy that chemistry, you probably don't buy the first part of this movie. But I thought they totally nailed it. Yeah, totally, they have a very good totally back and forth. I bought it. I thought they had a great back and forth. Great chemistry. I totally thought like, okay, these are two people who are like about to fuck. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I, I, I like right like I think if you don't buy that you can't buy that whole the whole mm-hmm. plot of the movie which is that they're gonna do, they're gonna do that. I think for me what sells at least the first act is Sarah Gaddon and the Blair character. The intentional and very often side eye that she is giving mm-hmm. through the conversations, right? The like intentional stares that she's giving to, to Aubrey Paws and, and Chris Abbott's character. The kind of intensity she brings to some of those conversations and then the way she kind of melts down at the end of the the first act. She was a revelation for me. Like, this actress, like, I don't remember seeing anything else of hers. Oh, she's great. Maybe I have and I just don't remember her or recognize her, but I thought she was great in this in this movie. Yeah, she's excellent. Did you watch uh, eleven twenty two sixty three? No. The, the Stephen King adaptation? Oh, yeah. no, no, no. The, the, With James Franco? Book, right? Oh, no, I have not, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she plays the female lead in that. A big collaborator with David Cronenberg, actually. So, like, Cosmopolis, Maps of the Stars. She was in Denny Villeneuve's Enemy. A bunch of stuff. Wow, she's been a bunch of stuff. Yeah, she's great. She's really good. Yeah, she's an antiviral, too. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, she's, she's excellent. The other thing I want to highlight is just, like, this imploding marriage. How, like, just, like, every single the same thing they say has to be a fight. I just think it's mm-hmm. perfect. Like, this is clearly somebody who's seen a marriage implode before because, like, everything is a fight. Yeah, you know, but we weren't really working in New York. I was working. We both had jobs. Like, what are you talking about? It's just anything that one partner says, the other one immediately has to contradict. Yeah. There's just so much, like, contempt and, like, bitterness there. Like, it's it's really, really, really good. One has to wonder how much uh, Lawrence Michael Levine is pulling from his own life because <laughs> that's right. his wife is also a filmmaker and they collaborate a lot. So it might be just some funny meta commentary. I, I hope he has a happy marriage. I don't know what, what's going on with him, but. I'm, I'm sure they're pulling from real life and real sets they've been on and stuff like that, yeah. right? Just to amplify that shit to like dramatic effect or something you know with, with this. But it's funny because like all the stuff we've been talking about so far only like scratches the surface of this movie right because this twist is great 
Do, should we, should, do you want to talk about this twist? Or? Yeah, let's get into this yeah, twist. Yeah, let's do it. So. so, like, the end of Act 1 has, you know, like you said, you know that Gabe and Allison are going to fuck. And, and they're about to have sex. And Blair catches them. And she's, like, attacking Gabe. And she's ordering Allison to, to go. And they have, like, this super drawn-out argument. Then they realize Blair is bleeding, right? Because she's pregnant. Well, she gets pushed down by the... Yeah, so Gabe pushes her against, like, the couch or whatever. And she starts bleeding. So they get the car, and Allison drives all of them to the hospital. But as she's driving, there's a black bear in the road. And they crash the car, and it cuts to black. And from here on out, like, the movie goes to part two. So part one, there's a inner title it's called part one the bear in the road and then after the car crash it becomes part two the bear by the boathouse and it's here that the big twist is that everything up to now that we've been seeing has been a film shoot and the roles are switched so gabe is the director of this movie that takes place at the cabin and i guess the meta real life allison is his wife and blair is the one who's coming in between them. So I think that's super fascinating. And I was totally floored by this twist. I did not see this coming at all. And I think that's by design. Because I thought this was just going to be like, oh, like a character drama at the cabin. And this this just came out of the blue. And, and it was great. I, I loved it. Maybe I'm a little confused. Maybe I missed this. Is it a film shoot? The first half of the Black Bear movie? Or... Is it I also think that's so it up kind to debate. Of can't be right. It, yeah. So like, yeah. yeah. So I think there's a ways in which it can't be right because because they play different characters, right? Yeah, they play different yeah. characters. Yes. Yeah. The film shoot you see in the part two isn't of the film in part one. It is not but, right. But they're placed in parallels that you can draw. Yeah. So it's it's almost like the retelling of the same story, but in a different perspective, in a sense, right? Or a different version of it. For, yeah, a different version of the same story, in a sense. Right. It's the um, Earth 2 version of uh, yeah. Black Bear. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really fascinating because how I interpret it, like, Allison basically becomes the Blair character from the first half. And then the Blair character becomes the Allison character in the second half. And it was so confusing because, you know, Aubrey Plaza talks about being an actor slash director in the first one. And then the second half, she's an actor. And then Gabe is now the director. And... Sarah is also an actor and is right. So the power in the relationship has shifted, right? Like now, yeah. like now, Gabe is the you know creator, and he can use his sort of dictatorial power to sort of do whatever he wants uh, in service of his art. And now Aubrey Plaza's character is the one who's not in control because she's just the actress now, right? So like the roles have switched. Whereas she was kind of in the driver's seat in part one, at least a little bit more. Um, now she's clearly uh, not in control anymore. That power dynamic shift is very interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she she like definitely drops to the bottom of the totem pole now, right? Because she's both the one who's being cheated on, and she's she's lost her sort of director role, right? Yeah. So it's it's interesting. She's clearly being gaslit, right, by Gabe and Blair, right? Because oh yeah, Gabe wants her to think that he's having an affair with Blair to get that performance out of her for the movie. I feel like he's just lying to himself because that affair, like, it turns out to be real. Yeah. So, at first, like, I didn't like that that affair was real. I guess, like, the parallelism totally makes sense, but I like the affair being not real. It's just a commentary on, like, directors who abuse their actors and actresses to get, like, quote-unquote, the best performances out of them. 
Like uh-huh. I liked it as just like a straightforward commentary on that, like Kubrick or whatever. Like Kubrick's yeah, yeah, yeah. infamous for it, right? But a ton of other directors do that, where they just completely abuse uh, the people. David O. Russell. Them. Yeah, yeah. There's like you know, it's it's a very common thing, and so like I thought in a way it took away from that when they made that affair real. But I guess that's the ultimate in betrayal, right? Like yeah, it, it's a double gaslight. It's like I'm pretending that I wasn't cheating on you. And it was all for your own good when like in reality, he, he just was. But I, I think also for the main overarching story, like to connect these two parts, you kind of have to have the same beats kind of ha- like yeah, it makes sense yeah, that the same yeah. beats have to happen. So I get what you're saying completely. All, all in all, it was kind of destined that he would cheat on Allison uh, with the Blair character because in the first half, you know, she, he cheated on Blair with Allison's character. Right. No, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I agree completely. I get totally what you're saying there. I think for me, the most interesting thing with the second half is that the cast just expands, you know, exponentially with the first half really only being three characters, right? We, the Allison character, mm-hmm. the Gabe character, and, and the Blair character. But then, you know, the second half, because it is the movies about the filming of a movie, we get to see like the all crew. the the crew, right? Like the ADs and the the makeup people, the costume people, and it was an interesting way to kind of frame the movie where now like this tension that we saw build up in the first half, you know, kind of repeats in the second half, but then it's now in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So I read a fascinating interview with the director, Lawrence Michael Levine, and he said that there were actually no extras on this movie. So like anyone who didn't have a speaking part in part two was actually part of the crew for shooting oh. the movie. So sometimes those people like in the background or whatever we see. Yeah, like all the cast, all the crew that are in the shots of part two, they actually worked on the the movie that we're we're watching, right? Um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's really interesting. It must have yeah. made like a really confusing shoot. I don't know. I have no idea how how that would work, but um, they made that work. The interesting thing is, like, you ever see, like, behind-the-scenes photos of, like, sets, you know, film sets or mm-hmm. whatever? It's like, they're only building as much or showing you as much as they need to for the scene, right? Right, But then right. usually around it is, like, lighting rigs and mm-hmm. sound equipment. Funny thing is here is we're seeing all that. But then I think about, like, well, is there even, like, an extra layer to that, right? Like, are we seeing those things having to be lit the right way and sound equipment around those things? So it's almost like this inception of a film set. It's so meta. It's very meta. I I have to ask. I don't know if you guys thought about this. Did you enjoy the first half more or the second half more? I mean, I guess you kind of have to watch them, you know, together. But Yeah, to get the power of the parallelism there, you have to watch both halves. I enjoy the first half. It's very very tight, right? Like it's a very Mm -hmm. compressed version of what it is. The second half is awesome. It zooms out and makes everything meta and it expands the cast and you get all these like minor characters who all seem like such living real people and and i love that but i think the first half was more fun for me more yeah more engrossing like on the edge of your seat with the with the tension and like watching this like disaster of a marriage implode like you're on the edge of your seat right whereas the second half is a little more because it is more removed and zoomed out it is a little more distant and cerebral. You kind of have time to think about like all the meta layers and stuff like that. And I like that too, but it's not as engrossing. So I think maybe yeah. I like the first half more, but that, that that's really hard. Yeah, I definitely agree. Now that you mentioned that, I agree. Because I think 
part two, after they pull the rug from under you and you adjust to the new shifted dynamic, you're like, oh, okay, this is what they're doing, right? But, like, in the first half, you don't know, like, where it's going to go. But, like, once you've moved on to part two and and you know that Allison and Blair, the characters, have been switched in their, like, dynamic and, and the roles that they're playing, you kind of not really see where it's going, but, like, you understand where the movie is going in, in that direction. Mm-hmm. Where the first part was more of, like, a mystery of, like, what's actually Kind of trying happen, to figure out what's right? going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, I think the first one has... The tension is, is built up a lot stronger than the second half. I think that it never reaches the heights of the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's partially because, you know, you described at the very beginning of this episode that, you know, this is like a dark comedy. I think the comedy mm. does come from the second act a lot more. I mean, there's like this lesbian trio that's it's going on. Like one, you know, one person's like, don't even think about going after my girl. Um, and then one of them is like having issues with like diarrhea. It's like, it's all kind of like that stuff takes away a little bit from like the story of like Alice and Blair and Gabe. Yeah. Like the intimacy there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's partially why I did like the first half a lot more. Don't get me wrong. I like, I love all that stuff. Like, yeah. Coffee bit, like I was dying. Yeah, the coffee, coffee pit, yeah. So funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's yeah. a lot of really, really good bits, and I love all these side characters that are all very funny. I really enjoy that. But yeah, I don't know. I do I do I do kind of think I prefer the first half a little bit. Yeah, and I, I think part of the pleasure of the first half is watching Aubrey Plaza just like so chaos in yeah, the little yeah, environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that the shoe's on the other foot. Not to knock Christopher Abbott's performance, but I feel like he's nowhere near as much fun as, like, a manipulator as Aubrey Plaza is. Just the the looks that she gives and, like, all the face acting she does, it, I think it's on a different level. Yeah, he's a little colder and eviler and, like, you find yeah. him harder to sympathize with. It's a little mustache twirly almost. Yeah, <laughs> a yeah, A little yeah. bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a lot more pure chaos. She's a little, she's, and, like, it sucks because, like, I do appreciate her playing in that other role in the second half with the shoe on the other foot. She plays a great, vulnerable, damaged, fucked up person. Yeah. She does an awesome job. She's such a great, weepy, angry drunk. Like, she does such an excellent job in that half. But I think I still enjoy her more in the first one. (laughs) Which is like, I don't know, I feel like I'm typecasting her in my head. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, I'm just going to make her, I'm just going to be more comfortable with her in the role that, like, seems to suit her persona more. But I I did like her more in the first half. And once they reveal that Gabe is just using this affair to get that performance out of her, like, it really colors your opinion of him. And yeah. it just goes straight into, like like you said, Derek, like, mustache twirling territory. Yeah, like, what what else can I do to to instigate more, you know, like... So, so it is, it's mustache twirly, I agree, it's like, super evil. But, like, it's not unrealistic, right? Like, that's the whole no, point no, of no, no, the no, movie, yeah. is that this shit happens, like, is that directors do yeah, do no. this shit. Right, so I mean, I I, th- I think yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying that at all. Mustache yeah. and difficult to sympathize with him, but like it's totally a commentary on the fact that oh yeah, people are actually this evil to like mm-hmm. their subordinates or their intimates on a, like a regular basis. I think the mustache twirly is is more that that he has to vocalize it so much with the Blair character, right? Like it's like ha he he he, like what else could we do? We're so great at this versus like, you know, like in real life, it probably is never, it's always like internalized, right? Like, what, what can I do? Yeah. The first half, everything was under the surface. It was all passive aggression and flirting and like very clear 
attraction, you know, only barely sublimated, where this is just like on the surface. Uh, should we get into maybe the end of this act? Yeah. Yeah. So the end of this act, the roles are reversed, but it's, it's essentially what happens in the first act. Christopher Abbott's character of Gabe and, and Sarah Geddon's character of Blair kind of end up alone and they start having sex and the Aubrey Plaza Allison character finds them. And then, you know, there's no reason to travel in a car. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's just, do you guys remember it was like wrestling in the bushes and then. And she sees the black bear there. Yeah. She, and then she starts walking towards it. Yes. Yes. You're right. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then it cuts to black. So that's the end of act two. But then it cuts back and we're back at the start, right? Like, So every time it cuts to a new act, it's the same scene where Allison is by herself. She's sitting on like the dock of the lake and she's sitting on a towel. She gets up, she picks up the towel and she goes back to the cabin in a room to write. Something in a journal or something like that. Yeah. There are lots of people who interpret things differently. But for me, I don't see any other interpretation. I feel like there's only one thing I could take away from this movie, like what it's actually about. I think this whole movie is just about Allison as a creative, and she's she's writing these stories, right? I think the black bear is just a representation of like the impasse she ends up at when it comes to her writing. And it's like the different scenarios that she's writing. And in the end, it always ends up with her going back to her notepad to write. So I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys saw that differently. I guess I wanted to ask, like, how do you interpret the the look she gives right at the end? Right? I mean, it's very intentional. She looks right at the camera, right? Mm-hmm. At, at us, the audience, like almost like a wink, wink, you know, um, like I interpret it as like, oh, here we go again. Like this, it's all starting over again. Yeah, just another another meta touch, I think. Yeah, it is, right? It's just a little third wall breaking to, to add another layer to that. But yeah, I, I think your interpretation is plausible, John. I don't know if it's the only one, but I also don't think I constructed like a coherent narrative of like right. uh, of the framing story. I'm not saying it's the only one. I'm just saying it's the only one that I could come up with that makes sense to me. Right. I haven't really gone online to like, check what other people's interpretations are but like that's what i got out of it i I think the like the really logical side of my brain is not frustrated at the end of this movie but was just very stuck on like you know me like why are we watching these two parallels like what do they have to do with each other other than that they're basically the same story with the twist is this something like what's resetting this every time you know what i mean like all those things that i want to know logically kind of like pops up in my head and and I want answers but I understand that like that's not what this movie's about and I'm never going to get those answers and it's definitely not what I should be asking but it's 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 I think that's just a me problem right <laughs> like that I, I just I, want answers I, I agree it is a you problem but yes, it is a, very, it is a very, me problem <laughs> <laughs> that's a very mature take Derek so I I I applaud your uh, your insight into yourself there <laughs> Yeah, I'm on the other end again from you, Derek, there. I, I didn't really struggle with, like, trying to fit it into any kind of logical mm-hmm. box here. I just really enjoyed the whole, the whole experience. But I, I do have to maybe stop and think, what was that, like, that framing device about? What's it trying to say about art and creativity and, uh, and writer's block and whatever? I don't, I don't know. I'd have to see it again. Did you guys just see it the one time? Yes. Yeah, I only just watched it the one time. 
So I, I saw it again because I had, I had seen it, you know, a while ago. And I was like, let me just see it again since we're going to talk about it. And I still really enjoyed it the second time. It, it held up for me. I thought it was still a heck of a lot of fun. So like really, really great movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I think the best choice that the director makes is not making part two a making of part one. Yeah. I think that makes it so much more interesting and it really adds like nuance and dimension to the film where you actually have to think about it rather than just like a one-to-one translation from part one to part two. In that same interview, he was like, my original idea was like part two was just going to be a making of part one. And I'm actually really glad he didn't do that because it really gives us something to, to chew on with like the different dynamics and people playing different roles. And I feel like if he went with his original idea, I think it would have been a little too clean. I, I, I like this, this ambiguity a lot. Absolutely. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I didn't even know about that, but like, I didn't know that he was contemplating doing it another way. I agree with you a hundred percent. I really like that not doing a making of in part two lets them completely switch the roles up and, and you see a completely new facets as opposed to like seeing the same story again through a different lens. You're, you're seeing completely different facets. You can change the dynamics completely. Really, really good. Like even down to even down to Gabe, like not playing the husband in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like a dude that just looks exactly yeah, like him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like even that is a nice touch. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, I was gonna say like the part three that I want to see is that like the Allison Blair character or, the, or is the couple right, and then Gabe would be the outsider that's coming <laughs> into like you know that's right. stir yeah. up the pot. That's the only pairing we haven't seen, right? Yeah. So this was the thing I. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about A Quiet Place 2? Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, there's something I wanted to mention I couldn't remember. And I finally remember what it was. Is that it's so coincidental and it's so interesting that so many of these movies that we've been watching lately are like coming out after COVID, but produced before COVID and somewhat like analogous to our experiences during COVID. Right? Mm. Like The Quiet Place Part 2 being this this thing where like it's affecting the world and we all have to like live a certain way. But then... And then Quiet Place Part 2 being like this, we're starting to see an end to it, right? Like, we're more people are actually talking in that movie when they couldn't talk in the first one. And we even see, like, a society where everyone is just, like, has been talking the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they never had to stop talking. It was very analogous to the whole mass debate <laughs> that we, we went through during COVID. But then, like, watching the first half of this movie, like, this couple that seems to be just, like, at each other's teeth right because they've been stuck together for like in this cabin isolated from other people for so long like it just reminds me of like you know read the stories of like people's like relationships like kind of breaking down during covid because they were just forced to be with each other like 24 oh, 7 yeah for sure <laughs> so like it's just so interesting that these movies that we watched the last couple of weeks just like remind me of like covid maybe that's not a good thing i don't know <laughs> sorry is there anything else you guys wanted to mention no, not really. Good get, Amir. This is a good movie. I liked it. I really enjoyed it. It's just, uh, yeah, a ton of fun. ton of fun. Um, definitely go see it. Think about art. Think about abusing the people who work on you to create art. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Think about writer's block. I don't know. There's a lot going on here. It's funny. It's a blast. Yeah, definitely go watch it. Yeah, definitely check it out. I don't think anything is streaming this at the moment. I think you can rent it on a bunch of places. Uh, Apple TV, Amazon. I think it's like a $4 rental. It's it's worth it's it. Well worth you guys it. Should. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if that is it for this week's episode, Jeff, where can people find you? 
You can find me on uh, my blog at strangeharbors.com and also on Instagram and Twitter at Strange Harbors. What about you guys? Um, you can find me here on the podcast or in a cabin working on my next movie. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can find me, Derek, at the wrong Dave. Dave spelled D A Y I K, and that's for Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, and if you uh, have any questions, comments, suggestions on this episode, Black Bear. Feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like to get feedback from our listeners and our fans. We like to read out the emails on the pod sometimes, so feel free to do that. And we actually got some emails from a few listeners for Loki, but I think I'm going to save it for our next Loki episode just because it's more related to that. But yeah, so with that, uh, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.